0: Welcome to the Fabrice Gellia Show, a podcast about the future of humanity. Specifically in this episode, we will be exploring (laughs) the future of the Middle East and the Islamic world. It is with a heavy heart and a heavy mind that I began this podcast. Because I have to say, it was recorded before the heinous terrorist act conducted by Hamas on October 7th on Israeli citizens killing thousands before the retaliation of the Israeli government on the Gaza and the endless bombing affecting civilians. This Hamas and Israeli war is, I believe, is going to impact the rest of the world, but specifically the entire region, perpetually and eternally. And my greatest worries is that my generation hasn't really seen a global war from a framework of a, a world war that impacts many countries. And I think my worry is that the way things seems to be lining up that I do not hope that many more countries of the neighboring places will be pulled in this conflict as it will tie to the Ukrainian and Russia conflict. My worry is that this can start a war of global proportions. And I do not say that lightly. The guest that I have today is Vali Nassar. He is an Iranian American academic and author who specializes specifically in the Middle East and the Islamic world. The Economist has coined him as the leading world authority on Shia Muslim. He is a lifetime member of the Council on Foreign Relations and serve as the eighth Dean of John Hopkins, SAIS, between 2012 and 2019. And he's written numerous books on the Middle East, on Iran, on Islam, and the changing dynamics in that region. This conversation is extremely relevant to what is happening today. And I think from his perspective and what we get to see is the nuances and the connective tissue that is tying The generations, the younger generations, demanding more change as we become more globalized. This is why I think for me, what's happening today will have profound impact on the future. And I hope this conversation brings more awareness to the complex dynamics that is not only f- impacting the region, the Middle Eastern region, but also the emerging forces that we can pay attention to more that can allow a level of sustainable change in our lives today. Without further ado, let's dive right in this conversation. And I appreciate you tuning in again in these really dynamic ideas that are being shared Um, Because I truly believe, like, storytelling and dialogue are so fundamental to the lack of vision that that needs to be remedied. Wow, Professor Vali Nassar, it is such an honor and pleasure to have you on the Fabrice Garia show, where we're gonna explore the future and your ideas and your experience. What like how did you discover your passion? Tell us a little bit about your journey.
1: Sure. So first of all, thank you for inviting me to this uh, podcast. It's really great to be joining you. Uh, you know, I I'm by origin Iranian, so I was born in Iran. I was just about the age to go to college when the Iranian Revolution of 1979 happened. Mm. So my family left Iran. Uh, we settled in the United States in, in, in today's parlance. You could say we were refugees, exiles, refugees, involuntary, um, people who involuntarily uh, came and their lives were completely disrupted. So everything I knew about my childhood, my future, my relationships, family, extended family, etc., was, was basically cut within a two week period. And, and I didn't go back to uh, Iran for decades uh, after that. So that in many ways was traumatic. I was, a, I was a student in the United States when the hostage crisis happened, when uh, uh, there, there was a lot of focus on Iran. Uh, and, and also uh, uh, particularly because uh, the, the revolution in Iran in 1979 was an Islamic revolution. So it brought into Middle East politics This whole question of Islam's role in politics, uh, which was very unique at that point in time in the world, which was by and large everywhere was secular. I mean, nowadays, we also have religion in America, in Israel, in in India, basically taking a bigger claim in politics. But then Iran was unique. So in school, I became increasingly, um, you know, focused on finding answers to this and then as i uh, as i went to graduate school went for my phd the questions i tried to answer was about how does islam become involved in politics uh, what does it say in politics how does politics change yeah. islam and i worked for a number of years on pakistan i worked on general questions about uh, uh, islam and politics and then more recently i've been much more focused on iran mm-hmm. and uh, as that country still is grappling with the consequences of that revolution that, uh, you know, uh, since the revolution happened, its relationship with the United States has become more and more fraught, more and more confrontational. Its politics looks uh, and its international profile looks to be one of a kind. You know, there's no other country is as separate from the United States or as, um, as at odds are defiant of the international order and uh, even last year we saw major uprisings in iran by the people protesting in fact the regime that they helped bring to power mm. some four decades ago so these are these are the sort of sets of issues that uh, that that interest me and and in a way everything that happened in iran which changed my life also changed the middle east
2: mm. because
1: of role of islam role of iran and that's still ongoing i mean this region has gone through many many Decades of tumult, war, terrorism, and the like, and uh, and so I've been following that journey.
0: That's wow, that's incredible. Um, I've been reading a, a lot of statistics here, especially in the West, like in Europe and also in the United States, how religion is increasingly playing less of a role in the lives, the day-to-day lives of people,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: the sort of impact of religion really is the idea of bringing groups of people together in community to do certain actions. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the idea that religion plays a much more in in intense and more integrated role in the Middle East. Like what does that mean for you? Like because I think like a lot of people I would say in the US or maybe in Europe might not necessarily understand what does what does that look like when religion is so like integrated to sort of the life and the, the morale and the vision and the aspiration yeah. like what does that mean and how and do you do you think what, what's your sort of intuition? Do you think that's that's created and strengthened sort of communities, or has this created more sort of uh polarization um within people in the Middle East?
1: Uh, I mean, not every country is the same, I would say. What happened, the way in which religion plays in the Middle East, of course, it's culturally very different. What Islam says is very different from Christianity. But the way, it's not that different from the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, if you went to very religious parts of the United States, in the Deep South, uh, there is there, people believe that the religion ought to be lived. They all go to church. If uh, there's kind of like even peer pressure on people to go to church, you can be part of the community if you're not part of the church. But what happened in the United States, at least in my lifetime in the United States, is that increasingly, the observation a boundary line between uh, a religion and the public sphere has eroded. Mm. That idea of separation of church and state, not only in terms of you know the church does its own money and the state does its own money, but but in but in the sense that. We, when I came to America, at least on the East Coast, or majority of what I saw in America, it was understood that yes, the Bible may say this and that about choice, about abortion, about prayer, etc. But that remains outside of the public sphere. That there is no claim by the public sphere to the to the but by religion to the public sphere. So in the Muslim world, one level of thinking about it is that. Um, Groups like the ones that carried out the revolution or Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt or Islamic forces in, in North Africa and Pakistan basically believe that God's law must be lived by. God didn't send religion for it to be ignored and then you, you live in accordance to secular law. And so uh, they, they they began to push for uh, society and politics to reflect religious values, mm-hmm. which is not very different than, than the debates we have in the United States.
0: Yes, yes, yeah, right? right.
1: So, uh, so or like let's say in Israel today about the fact that you know rules of rules and laws of. Judaism, as interpreted by Orthodox Jews, must be observed because, uh, you know, uh, uh, religion cannot be separated from, from uh, public space. The, the other level of it, which is unique to the Muslim world, I don't see that in the West, is that Islam's role in politics was not about taking individuals to heaven. Mm. It was about providing a a solution to sort of big political issues. So, um if you even thought about a group like Al Qaeda, mm. it's not saying that Al Qaeda exists in order to help Muslims attain spirituality. Al Qaeda exists to change the balance of power between Muslims and America. It's about it's 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 a kind of a fight that again in the West we're familiar with, which is between people who are underdog who fight what they think is an oppressive order, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They believe there's capitalism or there's white supremacy or there is, um, you know, this and that and the other, there's injustice Mm -hmm. and they organize to fight. And sometimes they do it, uh, you know, peacefully as uh, Dr. Martin Luther King did, but sometimes they also have taken arms like the weathermen in the United States in the 60s. Mm So that's the role also that Islam played, which is very unique to it. In other words, uh, Islamic forces became very powerful because they picked up the fight against, uh, fight for justice, fight for power. Uh, The Muslims are are losing wars. Uh, Israel is taking lands from Palestinians. Uh, You know, uh, the Americans are bullying them or they're doing resources and the secular governments are no good. Mm. And so... These Islamic forces, people like Khomeini or you know bin Laden, and stuff, step into this, into this space, claiming that religion will do better than secularism. Of mm. course, it's not old school religion. It's not like, you know, purity of heart and soul so that you go to heaven. Mm. It's religion deployed for, you know, fist raised, social action. Movement and and so that that one is unique to the Middle East, right? That that one is unique. Why did Islam become such a big part of the of the political discussion? Why do so many people uh, get attracted to Islamic political parties, not just to Islam itself, uh, but to Islamic political parties? Why do European youth pick up and go join ISIS in Syria, right? it has something to do with this promise of these kinds of islamic groups that they're going to empower them mm. right so so that is not completely unintelligible for us right that 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 dimension i don't want to say it's all about this yeah yeah but there is that powerful dimension there
0: do you, do you feel like because i I'm, I'm trying to kind of position myself as like as part of the listener of someone let's say perhaps that has, like, preconceived notions, maybe doesn't know, like, the, the spectrum mm-hmm. and how, like, complex Islam is. Like, I got to take um a class in Islamic mysticism in grad school mm-hmm. with an Iranian scholar. I forgot his name, and I'm sure you probably, uh, maybe I'll connect after to tell you. But it, it seems like, like, why is there such a misunderstanding of, of Islam, like, in the West? and And do you feel like that misunderstanding has sort of bolstered people's sort of embrace of islam and for more mass like movement level do you think there is a sort of like cultural wars that's happening or is it yes
1: yes there is yes there is i mean you said islamic mysticism islamic mysticism is about spirituality like it's about it's about uh, essentially experience experiencing god in a beautiful way through contemplation, which is not very different from Eastern yoga or or meditation, sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do your prayers, Mecca, etc. But it's about it's about cleansing your soul. Uh, so it's very much individualized. Whereas Islamism, the one that 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 carried out revolution or is in Al Qaeda or you know is in that that's not they're not concerned with that,
2: mm.
1: right? They're concerned, as I said, with 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 political issues, with fighting Israel. With uh, fighting America, with, you know, uh, uh, fighting injustice like, right against white people in Europe, for instance, right? And uh, the misunderstanding comes, I think, from a couple of things. One is that it's always easier for Americans and Europeans to typecast their enemies mm. rather than try to understand them. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with the way we do things. There's something wrong with them. Mm. Right, even today as we debate, did we see this backlash against uh, you know uh, critical race theory? Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, don't teach them those things. Like we've done anything wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, so that attitude existed. No, we didn't have any bad policies. They have no reason to be unhappy. It must be their religion, mm-hmm. and because it's an enigmatic religion, because of the way Muslims look, etc. So you would say, yeah, their religion doesn't recognize the boundary between religion and politics, as if our as if our our religion now in America, Christianity does recognize it doesn't either. You can go to the U.S. Congress, and half of those uh, congressmen coming from the South don't recognize the boundary between religion and politics either. Mm-hmm. It might as well be ayatollahs, you know, for for <laughs> practical purposes. So so, uh, but it's much easier to typecast, right? It's much easier to say. That there's something genetically, culturally wrong with Muslims, rather than to say that they are lashing out against uh, some perceived, maybe, and some real senses of injustice, mm. right? Uh, and and maybe the, yes, the Muslims are making a wrong, big, big mistake by 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 sort of mobilizing religion this way and it hasn't paid off.
2: Mm.
1: But 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 the, the 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 way in which Islam works in politics is much more understandable than we make it out to be,
2: hmm.
1: right? Uh, uh, if you un- if you want to understand somebody like Khomeini or bin Laden, I mean, you look at them and you see they don't sleep and wake up thinking about spirituality. They sleep and wake up thinking about reversing the balance of power with the United States. It's a very secular concern.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Do you, was there a point in your, like, going to college in the United States, like doing your research, was there like a major turning point in terms of like I guess I'm I'm intrigued to see like how has your perception been in the in the US, like in your understanding of Islam and and evolved? Like was there different points where you sort of realize a different way of looking at it? Because I feel like in the US there's such a, like an intersecting frameworks of like ideas and people from all over mm-hmm. the world, and then I can only imagine, like as you experienced, and you left within a week, your roots were ruptured, and then you arrived to a new land. It was very similar for me when I moved to the U.S. in 2004. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like adjusting, <laughs> like readjusting your worldview. Like how 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 were you able to stay grounded, but also what were the sort of major shifts intellectually that like occurred yeah. in your life?
1: No, it's a very good question. I mean. Uh... I mean, largely as as probably you're you're aware of it, one when, when we sit down and become self-reflective, we see that being here has changed us yeah. <laughs> in, in profound ways, right? Maybe we don't think about it, but 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 sort of your center of gravity intellectually, socially, et cetera, changes. The way you look at the world changes because you absorb values and ideas from your environment that mm-hmm. then changes the way you look at things, right? Uh, but at the same time, I have to say that that what is wonderful about the United States is that its intellectual environment at universities was very open, mm-hmm. right? It was it was perfectly fine to uh, you know uh, pursue these ideas and and see and and try to see you know social science theories uh, or studies of let's say um, you know, theories that were there about uh, African American. Uh, you know mobilization political mobilization, how does it apply to to what you're seeing?
2: Mm.
1: I think one of the tragedies in America is that both from the left and from the right, there's sort of an assault on that in the United States about what the universities can or cannot say or can or cannot do or what you get taught in the classroom. Mm. But at least when I was a graduate student, you know I, I sort of absorbed all of that, uh, not to say that it was identical to Islam, but let's say I remember, like reading about Malcolm X, and it was around about the time the movie came out. Mm. And I remember, as a graduate, as a young, much younger, I came out and said, uh, "Oh yeah, it was great. I'm very happy to learn about him." <laughs> but I'm reflecting. This sounds so familiar to what I'm reading about Iran and about Egypt and about the way these people think. Mm. Let's let's put aside the Arabic. Let's put aside the Quran part. Yeah, you know, the discourse. The discourse is very similar. Mm. It's the discourse of brown people. It's the discourse of the underdog mm. to get empowered, mm. right? Mm. Uh, um, now methodology may be different, but it but but that helped me better understand why is this thing having traction there,
2: mm.
1: Mm. right? Uh, and and similarly, you could look at other historical events around the world. You could look at theories, and and, and you could apply it back onto the what you were seeing in the Muslim world and then try to explain it in a way that is actually accessible and logical rather than trying to make it into something that you can just just reduce well you know you can't understand these people Mm. that's just the way they are Mm. it's all in their religion so we don't need to know anything about it other than knowing that it's their religion
0: Mm. So, so yeah so this is fascinating so you're saying there's sort of we we tend as humans we tend to codify like oh these these other people over there Mm their religion Mm -hmm. but there's a sort of universal current that you're tapping into you're seeing like the universal struggle of humans wanting to have more rights wanting to have space for their family exactly to be able to it, like ascend economically and have the means to be able to find purpose and meaning and sort of practice their beliefs. Like I'm wondering like is is this because it as as someone that's rooted in the in the West, mm-hmm. at least for like for me, I, I I I recognize that I very much have very democratic, like liberal mm-hmm. human yeah. rights sort of language around how I see progress. And I feel like it's, at least for me as a science fiction writer, kind of thinking about the deep future and how systems could evolve <laughs> and how it connects with society and mythologies. It's like, how how do I disconnect from that sort of symbolic structure of like the, the Western way of democracy or the Western way of helping the people, let's say this universal current of people wanting to have more sort of rights? Like, I guess... How does this look in the Islamic world? Like when people or because it seems like yeah. whenever we talk about Egypt, whenever we're talking about Iran, people are automatically going to say, okay, there they, it might look like a dictatorship, or these are the sort of the human rights check boxes that are maybe not failing. So like what does what does a sort of universal outside of the word democracy, what does what does a universal sort of space where people are able to kind of express themselves? Um, within that culture look like? Or do you feel like, what are some of the trends or what have you seen?
1: Well, you know, the, the, the differences between countries, some are a bit more open, some are a bit more closed. But, but the reality of it is that when we think about democracy as an absolute good in the United States, right? Uh, we also think that, first of all, we have it. In others, it's been functioning. Uh, it's been going on. But we also think that it, 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 it can be It can we can participate in it to get positive things for yourself. Mm. I mean, that was what Martin Luther King believed. Look, let's not go to revolution. Uh if we we want we want our rights as American citizens, when we participate, we can make democracy work for us, right? Mm. But what happens if you go to a place like the like Haiti or like Middle East where there is no democracy? Mm. Right? So then then like big issues like injustice, poverty, oppression, racism, uh, you know, things like this cannot be addressed through democratic means because the institutions are not there, right? Mm. But the problems don't go away. In other words, there's something very similar between, you know when when you have like poverty in America or racism in America or the or the way um African Americans now talk about systematic, you know oppression in the hands of the white, even uh, and and the way, let's say, Middle Easterners thought about centuries of you know Western colonialism, mm. right? Now, you may be familiar. I mean, in Haiti, like in a lot of Latin America, a part of the Catholic Church gravitated towards this the liberation theology tradition. Yep, yep. Right. So, would- so liber- what liberation theology basically is a form of Catholicism is again, it's not about piety and going to heaven. It's about carrying out a revolution, mm. right? Uh, so it's very much about this world. And wh- where did it come from? Because there was no democracy in Brazil, in Argentina, in Haiti. Uh, and yet, you know, you wanted to bring about social change. So they became attracted to Marxist ideas about organizing a revolution.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Now, if you're standing way back, you, what you see is priests and mm-hmm. you see a church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. But but in reality, uh, you know, so, so uh, Middle East, you could say, has a lot of social economic problems. It is obsessed with imperialism, mm. uh, maybe more so than okay. Latin America.
0: Hmm? What do you mean by it is obsessed with imperialism? Well, what-
1: because it went through a, it, it, much like Latin America, or parts of Asia, it went through periods that it was under French and British control. Um, they actually carved out countries, like even Iranians to this day complain about a 1953 mm-hmm. military coup that overthrew an de- elected pr- prime minister. And uh, I and mean, in that sense, they're very much like like Latin Americans or like you wow. know uh, Asians, but but they just sort of haven't got over it, and they're still in the middle of that. They're Mm -hmm. still uh, in the middle of that sort of anti-imperialist fight, right? Uh, Now, Anti-imperialism has very close parallels to uh, demand for racial justice. Although that's internal to America, but, you know, it's always about sort of uh, uh, a group of people wanting equality, wanting a seat at the table, wanting to end oppression, economic, political, wanting to reverse an imbalance that history created. Mm. right that urge is there it hasn't gone away there is no democratic means to express it Mm. you can't have you can't win elections Mm. right so it erupts in the form of radicalism in the 1960s it it was secular leftist radicalism Mm. Then in 19 from iran set the example then it became islamic radicalism wow right so so the function that they play is not very different. The function that Hezbollah plays in poor neighborhoods of Beirut mm. for many years is not different than what liberation theologists were doing in Port-au-Prince. Mm. There's no water, there's no electricity, there's nothing, somebody has to attend to this, somebody has to speak for these people, mm. there's no parliament, there's, there's no way, there's no political system that can possibly address this.
0: It's 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 almost as if it's like history will be the judge of us like looking in the future generations, looking back in this era, will have a bigger picture in what was happening. And I, and it's interesting. I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend and they work in the education system and they were talking about like the cancel culture and how they're, the mm-hmm. universities in the, in the US, it's becoming like less, like it's becoming illiberal. And I was like very frank with her. And I was like, I appreciate the cancel culture <laughs> because <laughs> I think it is a sort of, it's it's a reaction of the younger generation not being able to meet the demands of a democratic process that is not fulfilling sort of the visions of their, their highest form of justice. It's almost as if that's their form of agency. Their form of agency is, as society is transitioning to this digital revolution, it's almost as if like, that's the way that they can speak and act in a radical way. Like, the the question that I have then, like, you speak of revolution, and I think for me, in my mind, I've always looked at revolution in terms of an artistic, intellectual, creative revolution, but, like, what does revolution look like when it's centered in the heart, when it's centered around love, when it's centered around peace? Like, because I totally agree, being from Haiti, it's like, there is injustice, and even if we have the sort of democratic structures, there's still intergenerational trauma, there's still that sort of traumatic legacy of the past that feeds mm. systems and how people see each other and the separation. Like, like what, what does that look like for the Middle East, where you have this anti-imperialist sort of vision of like, okay, we need to embrace our culture and create a sustainable vision outside of sort of a globalized view. But at the same time, these ruptures of the past are still going to be there. So like, how does how does change happen? Or how do you see the Middle East? And I know it's like, maybe we could pick a specific case study in the country, but I'm intrigued to see like, how do you see change and transformation happening within the context of an increasing global world that we can no longer sort of deny? And also the historical legacies of the past, that reconciliation and, and dealing with these harms Needs to happen internally for something more sustainable to yep. grow. I mean, the, the the short answer is not easily. I mean, what <laughs> you said
1: about uh, about change in America is that it doesn't matter how technologically advanced we get, how much we do certain things. If you don't address the fundamental issues that's bothering at least a segment of the people, mm. then the system's not working for them. That's why, as you said, they are opting out, whether it's cancel culture or maybe on the far right, they they have their own <laughs> views about why democracy is not working for them, right? Hmm. So um, now in the Middle East, we don't even have much of a democracy. In some countries, you have something similar to Haiti. In other countries, you don't have it at all. You have military dictatorships or you have absolute monarchies, right? Yes, there they can be transformation. There can be technological transformation, etc. But fundamentally, the region does not have a way, does not have a political system can that, that can actually resolve, if you would, these major grievances or major issues so it ends up becoming like a tectonic plates that you know uh, rub against each other and then periodically erupt like they did in morocco
2: mm.
1: iran's revolution of 79 was something like that the arab spring of mm. 2011 was something like that like you know mm. you look at the arab spring you say well they had all of these arab dictatorships it was just static they were sitting there. They were pro-American. There was an elite that was making a lot of money. The majority of the population didn't have jobs. It wasn't seeing anything going anywhere. They felt helpless. So, And then there's no there's no voting. There's no way in which they could express themselves. So then it erupted. It erupted in terms of protest. Or you could say it erupts in the form of uh, revolutionary movements, right? Now, part of the problem in the Middle East is that they haven't worked either. It's not like the Iranian revolution really did solve Iran's problems or has brought actually a model of government that can last in terms of what it gives its people, what the people want of it, individual freedoms, economic growth, liberty, liberalism. It doesn't give them those, right? And so it's now locked itself in this perpetual war with America, anti-imperialist war with America, which is not going to go anywhere. Or Al-Qaeda solution how it's going to reverse balance of power uh, with the United States, uh, you know, collapsed very quickly. I mean, Al-Qaeda was decimated within a year. The United States became even more involved in the Middle East. Many more states were shattered and there were wars in Afghanistan, in Iraq, etc. But the region's not better for it, mm. right? So part of the problem in the Middle East is that it hasn't found a way forward. You could say, okay, Countries like Korea or Japan in the East or Malaysia or Thailand have now sort of, they were at the same place as the Middle East at some point. They had coups and revolution and Marxist organizations, et cetera. You had Vietnam at one point. But eventually they found a sustainable path, right, that for now keeps keeps them going forward. They either eradicated a lot of the grievances that the population may want participation in politics, or they provided avenues for meaningful participation in politics Mm. that at least you know allows them to do things so this doesn't exist in the muslim world wow so you know we can go to the future you could see the problems in the middle east are going to get worse because it's not no longer just Mm. political problems there's going to be water problems there's going to be climate problems Mm. there's migration problems there's a massive demographic problem in the region It's too many young people mm. and uh, you still say that in majority of these countries there's no actual satisfactory way of addressing these sets of issues.
0: Uh, I really appreciate what you're saying around like you're sort of like contextualizing like the climate problems, the the generational problems, the sort of rift that we see everywhere around the world. Like I'm wondering in is there an Islamic democracy or is that itself a very narrow vision of like kind of framing a sort of Western vision and I know there are universal aspects mm-hmm. of democracy like you've like really laid out for us I'm wondering like is there a, a nation state or even in that context that's doing it well that you <laughs> feel like that we could learn from in terms of what does that look like? because I feel like I hesitate to say that because I don't don't want to sort of westernize, because I feel like- No, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. reference. (laughs) No, no, it's
1: a very good question. And for a while, it was uh, right right after 1989 and right after 2011, where you had these sort of democratic openings in the West, in in Eastern Europe, and then in the Middle East, this, this came up a lot. I think the short answer, in my view, no religion in its pure form is compatible with democracy, really. Wow. No, I mean I put it in this sense that I believe that. No, 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 no. I, I mean it. I mean it in this sense that religion ultimately is about absolute truth. Mm. Re- democracy is about relative truth, right? Mm-hmm. So if you really, really believe in Catholicism, Islam, Judaism, it's the word of God,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? It cannot be like you would say God said abortion is illegal. You can't say just because a majority of people said, you know, now it's now now it's okay, right? So where does religion and democracy work is when religion accepts a compromise uh, to basically uh, uh, adapt itself to popular sovereignty. Because in every religion, sovereignty belongs to God. If you believe in God, he's the creator. Mm. But in democracy, we we believe that sovereignty belongs in the people. Mm. The people must speak, right? Mm. So... Religion has to adapt itself, like American constitution or Israeli democracy or Indian democracy for a long time was not that these religions changed. They just adapted themselves to that. Now, in the Middle East or the Muslim world, there are some experiments along these lines, but they're not as evolved. Like Turkey, uh, even still might be the case, but at least, let's say, early period under Erdogan from 2000 to 2010, a decade. It was it was a happy medium. It was a government that was self described itself as as, as Islamic, uh, but it but it also had a globalized, open market uh, uh, democracy. And the way it fashioned it is to say, okay, we this is the compromise we make. You don't need to have an Islamic state. You don't yeah. need to have absolutely. What matters is that individuals have the freedom to be muslims that was the turkish formula that was the compromise
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: right but these are still in the muslim world are far and in between
2: mm.
1: right uh, yes now that you have a generation of now islamic intellectuals who actually talk about uh you know the, the importance of finding ways to accommodate popular sovereignty in religion mm. and to coexist mm. between you know god's word and human will in the wow. political process. Yeah. But, but, but I can't say that there is there is a an example of a country that is functioning on this in a systematic way on an ongoing basis. I mean, the most recent case was that Tunisia after the Arab Spring was actually an Islamic democracy in the sense that there was an Islamist party which participated in elections. When it lost elections, it handed over the power to the secular party, et cetera.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But now because, there was too much e- chaos in the economy, there was too much corruption, etc. There's there's a strong man, there's a dictator who stepped forward and is basically taking it away. <laughs>
0: right? Yeah.
1: So, I think what the Muslim world needs is practice and longevity. Wow. Right? Democracies out of the box are ideas. Democracy has to be practiced. People have to learn it. They have to internalize it. Mm-hmm. I remember... At least in some theories, the first election doesn't matter in democracy. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the second and third election, and when mm. you lose, that really matters. Mm. right? That is there a transfer of power? Mm. The rule of law matters more than elections. Mm. because even dictators, even Kim Jong-un can have an election. Mm. right? It's the rule of law that matters. So if you thought about broadly about uh, do you have a system in which you have contested elections, Rule of law, and regular transfer of power, in the Muslim world, yeah, there is Pakistan, there is Malaysia, there is Turkey, but none of them has really congealed in a way that you can happily say that this is a good functioning democracy.
0: The the challenge I see is that here we look at it, and I think you use the language of like a society that's more open and a society that's more closed. It's kind of that's the human rights. Mm -hmm freedom house, like sort of language. I'm a society that's transitioning between more closed to more open doesn't necessarily guarantee that there will be more justice or more stability. Because as you said, there are yep. generational trauma. There is climate crisis. There is a globalized world society that we're moving in where the movement of ideas and the access to different types of truth is changing our tradition so like how do we react how do how does the islamic world react in the context of like if it's like if i'm a senator and i'm like and i'm i'm funding let's say the the uh the foreign policy or committee and 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 we're talking about we need to create more we need to fund Different groups to democratize and have more access to like healthcare or more access to those, those sustainable ways of being that can perhaps open the they don't I'm not gonna say that overtly but that can sort of make a country more open like that oftentimes like for example in Haiti I've seen this where it's like you you have an NGO you have an organization that's doing the work but it's like it seems like we're moving in an era where complexity is becoming the normal uncertainty is becoming. this sort of this tapestry for systems and i appreciate what you're saying of like the idea of learning to be in relationship and practice of these sort of democratic ideas i guess my my question is if we look in the deep future let's say 20 years 30 years Mm -hmm. or like what do you think what does the islamic world have to do and i'm and i'm talking in the context of like these deep historical sort of legacy from the afghanistan war or yeah. the conflict the israel palestine yeah. which has sort of galvanized a lot of people which kind of touches at the heart of a lot of people and it's like but we're in the paradox is we're becoming more globalized we're becoming more connected in that way yeah but like what does that future look like what 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 do we do how do we react <laughs> and well, it's-, it's a
1: good point and actually first of all parts of parts of the muslim world are probably more integrated into their own regions and into the global world than they are with each other. Like you can look at a country like Malaysia and say, is more integrated with Southeast Asia and China and the global economy and Australia and U S than it is with, uh, with, you know, the Middle East or, uh, you know, Turkey for a while was much more integrated with Europe, NATO, etc. cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um uh, uh <laughs> I think, you know, partly the, the, this is the challenge. This is the real challenge. I mean, one of the ways to think about it is that emphasis on democracy is very important, but equally important and maybe even more important is emphasis on good government. Mm. In the end, look, if you don't have rule of law, if you end up with corruption, if whoever wins the election, like in Nigeria, you know, loots the state, right? Uh, uh, or or that... Um, you uh, are not providing basic services to your population, that they don't see any improvement in their lives, it's very difficult to get them to buy into democracy. I mean, we're seeing that in Iraq. Mm. It's, it's probably the only Arab democracy right now. Mm. They still are voting. Still, the prime minister is elected, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot, a lot of young Iraqis are, now have an authoritarian nostalgia, like i was in iraq mm. and you know gradually people saying maybe it was better under saddam mm. it's the right? same uh, well. same so so why are they saying that it's not about it's not about oppression or right to vote it's about the governance part mm. right because yeah the guy might have been a thug he was a thug it's not might have been he was a thug but the electricity worked then better than it does now there were more jobs then than there is now there's some basic services that the population needed, including also security, safety, police, et cetera, that were better than than they are now. So you have to also recognize that whether it's Haitians or it's Egyptians or Iranians or Pakistanis, average people, even average poor people, are rational. Mm. Like they look at their lives and they look at the future and they, they, they assess the people up there, not because they're God-given or they're a pharaoh or they're a king, but are they doing the job, you know, mm. uh, uh, are, 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 are things improving? And, and so we're we continuously, we, our kind of, kind of countries are caught in a pendulum.
2: Mm. We
1: get fed up with, with, with badly managed corrupt dictators. We swing to democracy. We get fed up with, with, with badly managed corrupt democracies <laughs> and we swing back to, to, to dictatorships. And the countries <laughs> are stuck in a loop. Yes. And yeah. unfortunately, all the West does is give platitudes. Oh, wonderful. Haiti has a great new mm, mm, mm. democratic president or great. Haiti was a mess. There's now this new general who's going to bring order. But, you know, there's no there's no there has to be much more investment in government, and especially the things you mentioned, uh, which is climate, water, food security, you know, heat. You know, these are sort of sets of new issues that were not there before. Mm. And yes, they are global, they are global issues that affects us all. but in the end, there is a government somewhere who has to address it for their own people. Mm. right? So what happens if Iraq or Haiti runs out of water? Mm. right? you know who, who, who was in charge of that? What happens if you know half of uh, Niger begins to move into Libya because it's too hot mm. and mm. wants to go to Europe mm. right? So, so so, the emphasis, the, the necessity of giving people governance, et cetera, is becoming more important. Islamic forces have failed. Democratic forces have failed. You know, secular dictators have failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we've been too focused on who's secular and who's Islamic mm-hmm. and who's di- dictatorial and who is uh, democratic. Of course, we would like, prefer secular Democrats. But we have to also note that Areas like the Middle East or Haiti, the the, the most the largest failure is actually governance. Mm. Mm. I mean, large numbers of people are not being governed; they're not getting anything. Mm. First of all, they're not getting security, which you need as an absolute. You shouldn't come out of your house and be robbed mm. at gunpoint.
0: You you. You're, I, you're, I, you're, 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 I, I'm just I appreciate what you say. I'm juxtaposing this because I'm like people in the U.S., especially like. Uh, younger people, or climate activists, or uh, or or African American activists, or trans and non-binary activists, they're gonna say the same thing. They're gonna say like, yep. our leaders have failed us. This sort of bureaucratic yep. machine is not accepting of the diversity and the sort of the vision of what this democratic experiment. Like, I have like one final question. Yep, you're absolutely me. right. I mean, they're also revolting,
1: except they're not. You know, revolting in the street the way Haitians are doing, but they're revolting yeah. in their own ways, as you mentioned. Mm.
0: I, I'm, I have a sense that we're moving towards a world society, and I think that's sort of my science fiction sort of uh, frame. Yeah. It's like this united planet where, um, I because I I always say like if you look in your room anywhere, it's like you have books from like probably hundreds of different authors from all over the world. Your suit probably is made in Italy and and your the water you're drinking is from north carolina it's like it's it's all yeah. over the place like america it's like but i feel like our vision of like the nation state our vision of how nations work together is like it just seems like it's it's not able to meet the demands of the increasing complexity and yeah. i and the p the, the question i'm i'm going at is there are, the, the Islamic world is not only rooted in the Middle East, it's all across the world. It's in the US, yeah. it's in America, it's in Europe, it's in Asia. So like, what does that look like? This sort of transnational like expression of Islam, of the of diasporic Islamic people that practice and they're not necessarily ethnic, but more, more so religious. Like, what does that mean in terms of like the future and how people, are, those dimensions of values are evolving. Because even if the values do evolve, like you're saying it's, it, this is a problem of governance. It's like, it's just it's yeah. a human problem where, are you effective or you're not effective and in which interests are you? you
1: absolutely right. Well, look, uh, I mean, text uh, is always interpreted in a context. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a single word, but, but uh, the experience of Muslims in Senegal is quite different from Indonesia. Hmm. They all pray. They all look to Mecca. They all read religious law, but 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 the context for their politics and economies are different. The challenges they face are different. So so the Muslim, there is a centrality to Muslim world. Just like we say, there is such thing as Christianity, especially if you're a non-Christian sitting in the Middle East, you very easily say that's Christianity. But when you look closer, there's huge amount of cultural and and regional and political diversity so african muslims are much more integrated also into african issues and in fact there are some countries like nigeria which are sort of divided right in the middle but uh in terms of climate in terms of water in terms of local culture you would say senegalese malayans southern moroccans you know, northern Nigerians have a lot more in common than they have with Indonesians or 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 Malays or Filipino Muslims, mm. right? And so we have to recognize that, right? So that's also part of this reality. And, and as we meet these new sets of challenges, uh, some Muslims are going to be impacted more and in a different way than others, right? So even the issue of climate is going to hit, uh, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa much more differently than it will Southeast Asia. Mm. The options that are there are different. Mm. And, and so, so at the same time that there's this convergence, there's also a divergence. And mm. yes, it's important to recognize that Muslims have a cultural identity. They identify with, with themselves, with each other. They have a sense of religion and history. But it's also it's important not to get locked, lost in that because end of the day they're like other people. They have political problems, economic problems, social problems, uh, and, you know, and they are also integrating into these uh, communities. And sometimes one thing is more priority, one something sometimes it's another. When mm. Trump was president for Muslims, the biggest problem was the anti-Muslim attitudes of Trump. Mm. And now those same Muslims are basically banding together with Christian conservatives over the abortion issue or over, uh, you know, trans issues. Mm. because yeah they 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 don't you I mean, they, they understand the racism against muslims but now they, they also have some common ground when it comes to sort of conservative values right yeah yeah yep. now it's not going to be it's the same in african-american community there's some african-americans for whom these sets of conservative values is more important than race yeah and for some african-americans race is much more important than any other issue And so just like we see that diversity and you no longer can easily say this is going to be Latino politics or this is going to be uh, black people's politics, that is true of Muslims as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And uh, and you're right. Also, where they live is very interesting because Muslims are sort of uh, concentrated or the heartland is concentrated where the three largest and most important continents meet Asia, Europe and Africa. Mm there's no way to think about a global world order that doesn't run through them. Mm, Absolutely. And, 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 and sometimes, sometimes we've been talking about ideas all along, but geography matters. Also location, location, location. (laughs) Would have, would have never mattered if they were in Southern cone of uh, Latin America or in, or in Oceania.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that no, this has been so like compelling. I feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface on this. I, I want a big get topic. Your, <laughs> I want to get your final thoughts. Uh, it's it's like if if there, like in the next thirty years, what is one idea? It could be from our conversation, or it could be from somewhere else that you think our listeners should be paying attention to. That you think is gonna shape the future of the Islamic world in the Middle East. What is that one idea do you think is the most important thing, if you were to say, that they should, we should pay attention to?
1: Well, Middle East isn't an inflection point. I mean, I'm not gonna talk about the whole Muslim world. Why? One is because of these sets of climate, water, etc. The Middle East is running out of water across the board, whether it's Iran, Syria, Turkey, Lebanon it's also growing more and more hot particularly around the persian gulf area that it may become uninhabitable in the next 20 30 years that it has too many people that it has to feed and doesn't have necessarily uh, all of those uh, and then it has unjust political orders with a lot of poverty injustice a lot of angry unemployed frustrated young people mm-hmm. right so these issues are going are not going to go away. They probably will will become much more concentrated, and at some point you will have another tectonic shift causing another uh, eruption. On the other hand, for the first time after several decades, the United States is washing its hands of the Middle East. Mm. It's, uh, it sort of doesn't need the oil as much. Uh, it, it wants to focus on China and on and on Russia, and so that's also changing the the way in which Arabs and Iranians and Turks have dealt with each other. Mm. Because you don't have the United States sitting there with, you know, sort of organizing who gets what or who can do what. So uh, it is possible now to imagine that these countries can find ways to coexist. Mm. If they have to, not not because all of a sudden there's a love fest, but become more pragmatic about that. And that can open some doors about greater regional interaction, which hasn't been there. I mean, if you really thought about it, Middle Eastern countries don't trade with each other that much. Mm. Nothing like European countries. Why? Because they all export the same things to Europe or to the US. And because many of the big ones, the relations with each other haven't been good. So until very recently, they have not been trading. So some of these things may change and you may have a different dynamic coming out of this.
0: Wow. Thank you like so much. I I I appreciate what you're saying because I feel like I'm getting a little bit of goosebumps because my generation as a millennial and the younger generation Gen Z here in like in the US or even around the world like friends that I have like all over places some of the issues that you've brought up or like the key issues it's like yep. economic prosperity climate crisis I think this is almost a generational riff it's like we have an absolutely old, have an absolutely in the younger generation no, because you know
1: does. you know with my my age you could say okay I don't have much left uh but 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 my children you know for them this is their future so they take it much more seriously
0: absolutely um wow. Thank you so much. This is this has been like really like invigorating to kind of hear your perspective and to show Thank that you. we're so much more connected than we, we think we are. Um, Absolutely. Where, where Absolutely. can viewers uh, like read some of your work or connect with you online?
1: Well, I mean, I have Twitter account. It's uh, Valley underscore Nasser. I'm on Facebook. Uh, those are ways. So, and then, you know, if you Google what I've written, it, it all shows up. Books on Amazon, you could you could Google. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I'm now sort of connected that way. It's, it's much easier.
0: Super. Wow. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Nassar. This has been actually a delight thank to you. pick your brain and, and see the future of, of, of the region and, and, and Islam in the context of how our world is being shaped. Uh, thank you thank so you. much and i hope to continue. thanks for inviting me absolutely thank you for tuning in to the fabulous Galier show i hope you enjoyed this conversation about the future of the islamic world in the middle east I would like to say that in response to the unprecedented humanitarian catastrophe unfolding in the Gaza Strip, I recommend donating to United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine, Palestine refugees in the Near East. It's, uh, you can go to unrwa.org. Thank you again and until next time.